Wake up. Freedom's on the rise. My country, tis of thee, sure looks like Germany, 1933. Prepared for genocide, shrouded in foolish pride, from every mountainside, let free Welcome. Today we have researcher Alan Watt back with us on the line. Alan joins us the last Sunday of each month here on Red Ice Creations Radio and we are very proud to have Alan with us. His website is cuttingthroughthematrix.com where you can follow along with Alan's blurbs and uh, very powerful audio commentary and I suggest you do check out some of his books, his videos that he got, he got available through his site. Alan is very knowledgeable about history, mythology, fraternal or orders, secret societies and all kinds of movements directing and guiding our world today. So. Uh, Again, with that, let me say welcome back to Alan, and thank you so much for t- taking the time to be here today. It's a pleasure, yeah. It's awesome to have you. Uh, you know, I, I I thought we could dive in today to kick things off, talking a little bit, uh, little bit about socialism and, and communism. I, I heard one of your blurbs where you kind of went into a little bit about the symbology behind the, uh, the Soviet flag and all of this, and maybe we can dive into that a little bit later on, but... Uh, to get things going, um, I, I guess we could start at the at the official beginning to kind of uh, unravel some of the knots that uh, there. Do, do you think that you know Karl Marx, Frederick uh, Engels, uh, are are these guys the real founders of of communism? No, no. The uh, we know that Karl Marx was a hack journalist who was kicked out of Germany and brought into Britain to basically write the manifesto. Uh, he was so unimportant that for many years uh, his name wasn't even attached to the first couple of editions. <laughs> so he wasn't the, the the main thrust. He was the person who was told what to put into writing, into a, form, a formula, really, uh, and a theory, the whole theory of dialectical materialism, and to make it into what seemed to be a science, and that was what it was meant to be. It was to, rev- uh, to rival existing religions by adopting the, the same sort of beliefs as religions run on. Hmm. There was the inevitability of what they call progress and the rising of um, uh, new forms, new ways of living from the lower classes, struggle supposedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, as the decadence into the middle and upper classes, then then you'd always have this fresh input for a new direction coming from the workers, yeah. which was nice on paper, but never happened in reality. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a, a pseudoscience which tied in heavily with the writings of Charles Darwin. Yeah. It was based on the, the Superman-type theory that through science, through, uh, through the abandonment of all religions and, and simply using science, man would somehow fulfill a destiny which shows you that there was a religious pull to the whole preaching of communism that there was a destiny there to even fulfill mm, yeah um and that's when that they, they wrote many books um you'll find that all the masonic the freemasonic 
groups of the day were heavily involved in the revolutions, which predated Karl Marx. Hmm. Uh, you can go back to the, the English Revolution. That was the first major turn where bankers financed Cromwell uh, to take over England and get what they call democracy on the go established. Uh, Second revolution hmm. was the American Revolution. And, um, and then, of course, that was followed by the French Revolution. Yeah. So Freemasonic free literature even today, openly declares that they have been behind every revolution for the last 500 years. Uh, uh, regarding Cromwell, what's the time period are we talking about there? You're looking into the into the, the 1600s. Okay, yeah. And uh, Cromwell was financed by bankers uh, from Amsterdam. Yeah. Who financed his army, the equipment, uh, the armaments and all of that kind of stuff to, to to change England's system from the feudal society uh, to the next step, which was a form of democracy, even though initially it was all for nobility, really. Hmm. They, they, they swapped their feudal system and gave themselves a parliament, you might say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could tie this into... Um I guess William of Orange and the bank system coming out of uh, the Netherlands, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that that was heavily heavily involved, <clears throat> and uh, as I said, we're on the go much earlier. You'll find that with uh, e- even the writings of um, of Moore with his Utopia. He wrote Utopia about the same time uh, or just before. Um, John uh, Francis Bacon wrote his New Atlantis. Mm, yeah. They're very, very similar because they were both Freemasonic writings or, or Rosicrucian writings. Hmm. And they talked about a future world where everything would be in its place and everything would have its place, uh, run on a form of science with lawyers at the top as well, administering the justice to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically science would lead the way out of the darkness of religion. Yeah. Hmm. Well, from the 1500s onwards, you might say, you can see the start of this. And by New Atlantis, they meant uh, the Americas. Yeah. That's what they meant by the, by the New Atlantis. That's an an, an interesting idea. I want to return to that uh, a little bit later also, maybe. But uh, regarding the, you know, I guess, revolutionary movements, um, one theme, uh, theme, I guess, is running throughout all of this is... Uh, the tie-in with with the uh, with the Promethean character, uh, isn't this right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, of course, is a statue that is, uh, I guess, outside of uh, the Rockefeller uh, Plaza or what is it in <laughs> New York? There, where um, this is basically the god who stole um, the, uh, the fire from from the other gods, right? That's right. Fire from heaven. Yeah. Meaning intellect. And uh, there's a good poem out there by Shelley on Prometheus, uh, as well done. And Prometheus, again, in the, in the later religions, became uh, Satan. It's the same hidden meaning behind all the religions. In fact, they're all the same story. Mm-hmm. So Prometheus took light, intellect, to the world of darkness and gave it to man. Yeah. 
so, so he's the again the the rebel who defines the the over overlord, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 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 again the re, the revolutionary idea then is to to kind of always rebel against the authority to kind of I guess that they see it in the in the way that they are trying to you know rearrange the the current paradigm by actually having people uh, rebel or 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 you know go in revolution I guess. Yes. Yeah. The whole, the whole idea of the mystery religions uh, is to bring order out of chaos. Yeah. And they perceive a world where everyone do, does their own thing as chaos, as chaotic. They want a world run by science, where science dictates to the people, and the people follow and do what they're told. Yeah. But, but this has been like that from, for at least 500 years. Hmm. And we see it today where, where uh, on all television programs across the globe, uh, even on regular little newscasts, they always bring experts on to tell you what to do about this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think for yourself because they're there to do it all for you. Sure, yeah. And that is what Bertrand Russell, a lord, he was a British lord, mm-hmm. yeah. a hereditary lord too, um, said, he says, we're creating a world where the people will be unable to decide anything for themselves. They'll simply follow uh, the experts. And that's the world, the utopia they're talking about. That's what they mean by order. Yeah. It's a planned future. Yeah. Um. We we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, regarding the English English uh, Revolution. C- uh, do you know anything about uh, Guy, Guy Fawkes? Oh, Guy Fawkes, yeah. yeah. Well, Guy Fawkes um, uh, supposedly was brought in, and many think at the time because of the chaos that was reigning when James the First of England came in. Mm-hmm. He was already the sixth of Scotland, but the first for England. Um, he needed um, an excuse to get uh, taxpayers' money to build his armies up. He couldn't find them. And it was lucky that, that, that Guy Fawkes had been brought in on behalf of, uh, of some of the Catholics, and I thought it was an early Jesuit training that he had. Hmm. And somehow or another, um, they, they did catch him red-handed. He planted gunpowder underneath the Parliament building. Yeah. And so... James became the victor there, and suddenly was a hero, and he got all the tax money that he wanted, etc. <laughs> so, um, the, I, is, do you know if this is related, and uh, to uh, the, the huge London fire that was reigning in? I think it was, wasn't it, uh, 1666? This was right. Yeah, that's right. You always have three sixties in major events. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what's interesting too that see. At that time, uh, Sir Christopher Wren and other architects uh, who were also Rosicrucians, very high-level Rosicrucians, just happened to have a, a new plan of London all, all drafted up yeah. with new buildings. Uh, and, of course, that would have lain idle if they didn't have the fire. So it was very fortunate they had the fire to fulfill the dreams of rebuilding London, <laughs> an international city. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing day. It, it kind of it's so obvious. Uh, you almost bypass that event sometimes. It feels like <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, it's amazing. And I, I get, again, we can I guess tie this into you know the the fire worship of of Prometheus and the 
again the the idea of the the sun worship or the the fire that changes society to to bring forth this new new order Freedom's Rising, episode 22 on July 7th, 2022. We're doing part six of the Falling into the Movement Trap series today. And yesterday was part five of Falling into the Movement Traps. I, on episode 21, I did not announce the episode number and part number in that series of yesterday, but we ended with Dave Emery's reading of They Thought They Were Free chapter 13, I believe, in the book. And then that little jingle at the beginning of this episode, uh, my country, tis a fee, sure looks like Germany, 1933. That song, oh, it was at the end of that clip that I found, you know, in the Dave Emery archives. I, I have no idea, you know, where that's from or but I figured, okay, well, I forgot to put it at the end of the episode, so we'll just put it at the beginning of this episode. And then we heard just now from Mr. Alan Watt talking about them, talking about all them big boys at the top and how the communist revolution was really a Freemasonic controlled opposition. And it's all occulted. Now, that's why we brought that in there, because not because I'm like a huge fan of Hendrik, uh, the guy who does Red Ice Radio, or necessarily even saying like Alan Watts got it all nailed and we all need to listen to him. That is the second time he's made an appearance in Freedom's Rising series here. But more just to allude to what we're talking about today with uh, continuing on with the falling into the movement traps and getting more into the, the revolutionaries and we'll be touching on fire in the minds of men here as well as what they were alluding to there, that the, you know, sun symbols and uh, this sort of fiery symbolic representation. And going back to, you know, nobody owns the sun. And here at Freedom's Rising, we're using the sun as a symbol as well in our, you know, in the way that we put forward the work and the artwork that we use has obviously the main feature of Freedom's Rising is the sun and we're worshiping the sun not because we're freemasonic or uh you know worshiping the dark sun or we're part of the solar cult or something like that uh those are all things that exist and there's the dark sun cult you know and you can look at symbology all throughout uh, freemasonic and illuminati and all kinds of uh Rosicrucian orders and different occult societies use the sun as a symbol. It's it's obviously you know quite prevalent object in our lives. It it uh, is the reason why we're able to be on this planet, and no one owns that symbol. And no, I'm not a mason. Uh, don't participate in masonry. 
I am not trained in masonry. I've never been in a lodge. I've never even literally like been in a lodge. And I think that masonry is misunderstood in a lot of ways. And people think that it's either like, you know, some good old boys club or that it's all, you know, evil. And every person in masonry is practicing some sort of dark occultism. But I think there's a tradition of masonry that's using occulted wisdom and teachings that is put down into the teachings of masonry and the symbology and the the movement through the traditions of masonry is actually a, a really beautiful allegory and a beautiful tradition. And it doesn't, you know, it's, things aren't black or white and they're, you know, sometimes they're gray, but they can be you know, interpreted both ways and used both ways and tools and knowledge and wisdom and occulted allegory or whatever, that doesn't even mean necessarily that it's accurate. Just because it's occulted doesn't mean, oh, it's it must be completely 100% accurate and uh, or even that we're all going to interpret it the same way just because it's an occulted and if we're, you know, going through a process of de-occulting it, um, that doesn't make it right or true and, you know, history is what it is and we're not talking about specific people necessarily here when we start to uncover more of agendas and conspiracy theories that go on, but more of a philosophy and a worldview and a pragmatic way of looking at the world, you know, or a materialistic, atheistic way of looking at freedom or rights, right? And that they don't come from anywhere and nothing really matters or these sorts of worldviews and not necessarily the people or the, you know, the it is it is important to know the flow of like the Milner roundtable groups and uh, the you know the Cecil Rhodesian Empire and the merging of these systems and the Fabian Society and if you go back and listen to that full episode which I'll have in the sh- in the notes of the episode you can check out more of that Alan Watt Red Ice Radio interview from two thousand and seven communism and revolutionary movements. And I found that on the old YouTube, just kind of scanning for a good, you know, opening piece here and, you know, have dug way back into the archives, you could say, from 2007 there, from old uh, Red Ice. And that's from a, a channel talking about more of the the figure Prometheus is where I found that. That's pretty interesting. And, and it kind of goes along with the fire in the minds of men and what we'll be talking about today with... Uh, a book based on Dostoevsky's The Possessed. And so I'll read here from Info Galactic. Actually, let me, I do this, I jump ahead, and let me go back to my show card really quick, just make sure. You know, what I need to do really quick, actually, is a summary of yesterday. We wrapped up the Struggle for Freedom presentation, and also yesterday I realized, listening back, you know, I I, I am in a bit of a, a hurry, not in a you know, a way that I'm like, you know, flailing about or like losing my mind in the morning trying to get through it. But there is a deadline in the morning, I need to wrap up the episode. And I need to get yesterday was getting to that point where I was ready to wrap up the episode, got to get on with the rest of my day, have responsibilities immediately after this, that need to be addressed. And, uh, you know, hopefully someday, we can get into a routine where maybe it's not that way. Anyway, so I even kind of didn't really wrap up the series. I, I think I said we're at the end. and But the struggle for freedom, that was a wrap on that particular section of the falling into the movement traps. Today's Thursday, so we probably won't have another episode this week. So this will sort of be 
putting a bookend on that. And then I'm not totally sure next week what we'll be getting into for Monday, if we're going to continue on with the Falling Into the Movement Trap series, or take a week to try to peek around at some other things that are going on with freedom, things that are going on with uh, the lack of freedom, things that are going on with the ongoing uh, mostly peaceful depopulation, and uh, an article that I'd found that I might go into just spend a, a week going through that one you know, research piece that I found talking about a mostly peaceful depopulation. And those who, you know, know about the mostly peaceful protesting will, uh, that's a reference to how, yeah, you know, the, the depopulation thing's going pretty well. You know, these people are falling right in line. They're, uh, taking their vaccines. They're, they're, they're getting the sterilization going. And, uh, yeah, overall, this is a mostly peaceful depopulation going on. Uh, and then also, you know, there's plenty more to uncover in falling into the movement traps, and we haven't even scratched the surface. And so we're on part six today, and when we continue on with part seven, we'll just continue on from there. And, uh, you know, we have some time here in Freedom's Rising Studios to decide what that is going to look like moving forward. Appreciate everyone tuning in and appreciate you participating in the rise of freedom. And I'll be talking now and reading from the Infogalactic article with a synopsis on fire in the minds of men. And then I'm going to read right into the introduction with that and continue on today reading from James H. Billington's book, Fire in the Minds of Men. And something else that I wanted to cover here uh, that I just recalled that I was thinking about as I was taking my morning walk this morning was... Am I the teacher of all this stuff, or am I the explorer, or, or, or are we navigating this together? And there's a, a good grasp I have on a lot of, you know, I would say highlights and talking points and things that do relate to what we're talking about here, and a wide breadth of information that I've taken in that I can sort of condense down and DJ into the show here. But I'm also on a discovery and I'm not just going back over things that I've got completely nailed down and then saying, you know, I should produce a podcast because I'm an expert in these particular things, which I'm not discounting as something that people do do. And obviously you should know, you know, enough about your topic to purvey information that's useful to others, or at least go down the journey and document it in a way that's also useful for others so that we're putting it into the podcast. So as we go on, as some of these episodes might grow in length, or we go into different topics, or we sort of drop freedoms rising and continue on with discovery and putting podcasts out there through the tylerblower.com feeds, you know, the freedoms rising is also just a series. We don't, we've been doing podcasts and episodes myself in this similar vein for now, you know, going back to 2015 or so, uh, getting started, I had a, the creature of control podcast. And that was sort of the first work that I put out with within the stones media network. That's the media production arm of tylerbloyer.com of freedoms rising of alt eats, uh, me and Cassandra's projects together sort of the back end of that, the media production studio really is within the Stones Media Network. And that's been the name of my official uh, 
entrepreneur endeavor that I have been working on more seriously over the last couple of years. And again, we took some time off last year to get some things settled and really took a step back from a lot of those sorts of things, content production and whatnot. But I'm also the uh, discoverer and the person who's open-minded and you know, looking for new angles and information and a student, a constant student as well. So it's not that I'm just sitting up here and going, there's this deep, dark, you know, or deep caverns of knowledge behind me that nobody has access to. And I'm trying to trickle it out to the masses here and all the idiots. Like I'm not sitting on a throne like that and up here acting like that. I'm in a, I'm also in awe and you know, looking at things and going, wow, that's amazing. And, you know, we're talking about the discovery of psychological aspects of human beings, which is an endless study in itself. Any one of the topics, whether it's psychology or philosophy or history, um, you know, American history, even these are all topics that people can spend whole lifetimes, you know, encountering and discovering and researching and still not have it all figured out. So, you know, we're trying to be wide in our, in our breadth of, and our our uh, weight of the information that we can bring forward, and keeping it in sub compartmentalized things like falling into movement traps or talking about freedom. You know, freedom's rising. I think that we can exhaust this for some time. And you know, again, not just talking about projects that people are working on that are in a positive way, but also we have to understand the psychological components of you know why we're in the we have to understand the causal factors and we definitely need to be looking at the power behind some of these more these movements and that's what we'll be getting into in future episodes as well is you know the hidden occulted powers behind something like communism or behind something like socialism and that these aren't just natural human movements that ar- arose out of a sort of evolution of our culture and our civilization in one way you could classify it like that, but there's also a strong heavy hand of the occult of these secret societies and secret orders. And they show themselves in things like the council on foreign relations and things like the Royal Institute of international affairs. These are sort of the working arm and political arms of these secret societies or roundtable movements. And again, a lot of the time these groups are doing what I was just talking about. They've got the breadth and the depth and the large caverns of wisdom and knowledge. But, you know, that doesn't make them like some kind of superior human beings to us or that they've got it all nailed and every one of them understands all the stuff that we just too, we're just too stupid to understand. And I definitely don't think that's true in the modern day. And a de-occulting and unveiling of that information does need to be had. But that's also another sort of part of the movement traps is like, now that I've found the information on Freemasonry and Hermeticism, I've got it all nailed. And not not just like, I mean, I do think Hermetic philosophy is more, I mean, I'm not like, I, I don't want to say I'm a, lab, I'm a labeled Hermeticist. But if we look at, yeah, you know, something like the Kybalion, and we look at the seven hermetic principles, uh, the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus, I think that this is also wisdom that we can take in and we can understand the way the universe works and understand natural law a lot better by understanding those principles. This is similar to the secret people, the people that are looking at the, the secret 
uh, movie, I think that whole thing is sort of a sham. They're just ripping off hermeticism. They're l- ripping off the seven hermetic principles, the law of attraction. And then this stuff is also, you know, really mixed up and confused in the new age. And, you know, talk the, the law of attraction will be entirely misunderstood. And, you know, getting people to sort of be passive observers of their life and wishful thinkers versus actually taking action. And I think that's what a lot of this entails too is like all this wisdom doesn't really matter if we're not doing something with it right um what are we going to do about it as dave emery closed out that um to be or not to be uh by the play by hamlet um from the play of the same name there uh getting into it today though we're going to now now that i covered that portion of what i was trying to get at uh the synopsis here from fire in the minds of men Fire in the Minds of Men, Origins of a Revolutionary Faith, is a book about a spread of ideas written by James H. Billington, historian at the Library and Librarian of Congress. The book analyzes the ideas that inspired European revolutionary movements from the 1700s to the 1900s. And again, reading from the Infogalactic article on Fire in the Minds of Men, the synopsis. The book takes its name from Dostoevsky's The Possessed, and it attempts to investigate the passion for revolutionary change which developed in the Central Europe in Central Europe and Russia starting with the French Revolution of 1789. Unlike many other histories of revolutions and revolutionaries, Billington does not focus on events and social causes leading to popular uprisings. Instead, he follows a sometimes almost invisible thread of incendiary ideas sometimes transferred via occult societies, but all having the common genesis in the motto of the French Revolution. Liberté, Egalité, Fraternamite. In Billington's historiography, he presents the second and third terms as reactions to and expansions of the more rudimentary and susceptible to egoism concept of liberty. He describes how the idea of brotherhood was inherited from the secret and occult societies such as Freemasons, and became an inflammatory idea which led to the Paris Commune, and then was extinguished as far as a popular revolution went until it resurfaced as National Socialism in the 1920s Germany. Instead, the idea of equality would become the fuel for socialism and communism, Billington equates the two schools of thought, claiming that though socially opposed in outside appearance, in their own respective way, one promoting individualism and the other collectivism, each is striving towards establishing these mutual goals via secular humanist society that is both egalitarian and utilitarian. These two social power factions were founded by the two thinkers Prodhorn and Marx, the former being a social and secularist republican, anti-monarchist, individualist, and the latter the social anarchist communist collectivist, and who was, you know, kind of incorrectly erroneous, erroneously accused <laughs> of creating communism and the communist manifesto, Karl Marx, who's really more of a puppet himself, and Prodhorn we brought up before as being someone who claimed to be the first sort of political anarchist. So an interesting synopsis, and as you can see, uh, I think that actually does quite 
go well with what Alan and uh, was talking about on the Red Ice Radio interview there. And so, although I'm not going to stick that whole interview in to this episode, well, maybe, maybe I don't know. We'll we'll decide on that. But the you know the references, and also just as an aside here. If you go to tylerbloyer.com and then on the menu, look for the Creature of Control web brain. That Creature of Control web brain is my brain that I've been building over the years with the research that I've done, not on and off. I got to be honest, like it's not something I go and up. I don't have it like up on my screen and I'm updating it every day and we're like constant. But what I, the, the idea of these episodes is also, you know, you have that browser tab with a hundred browser tabs open when you get done even just preparing for a small little episode, sometimes there'll be like tons of browser tabs, all the things that hit the cutting room floor or some of the things that were actually in the episode. And that stuff is really what I'm trying to do after these Freedoms Risings episodes is sweep those links into the brain model, sort of a cleaning up the tabs, you know, closing them out and putting them into the brain model as they fit into places there. And if you go and check out the brain model. Obviously, if we were doing a live stream now, we'd have that up on the screen. And uh, as a little side, we've been working on our live stream studio again and having that ready to go. I'm not going to put any timeline on that because I don't know when that'll happen. But uh, yeah, go to tylerbloyer.com slash brain and you can follow along with some of the stuff that we talk about as we go through and document and put the links in there to give another recontextualization of the information itself and another way to store certain things that I've found have been stored in the brain and then disappeared off the internet. But luckily I had copied that page into the notes of that. So starting now from the introduction of James H. Billington's book, The Fire in the Minds of Men. Introduction. This book seeks to trace the origins of a faith, perhaps the faith of our time, modern revolutionaries, are believers no less committed and intense than were the Christians or Muslims of an earlier era. What is new is that the belief that a perfect secular order will emerge from a forcibly, from the forcible overthrow of traditional authority. This inherently implausible idea gave dynamism to Europe in the 19th century and has become the most successful ideological export of the West to the world in the 20th. This is a story not of revolutions, but of revolutionaries, the innovative creators of a new tradition, the historical frame in this century and a quarter that extends from the waning of the French Revolution in the late 18th century to the beginnings of the Russian Revolution in the early 20th. The theater was Europe, of the industrial era, the main stage journalistic offices within great European cities. The dialogue of imaginative symbols and theoretical disputes produced much of the language of modern politics. At center stage stood a characteristic 19th century European revolutionary, a thinker lifted up by ideas, not a worker or peasant bent down by toil. He was part of a small elite whose story must be told, Quote, from above, unquote. Much as it may displease those who believe that history in general, and revolutionary history in particular, is basically made by socio-economic pressures, quote, from below, unquote. 
This, quote, elite, unquote, focus does not imply indifference to the mass human suffering which underlay the era of this narrative. It reflects only the special need to concentrate here on the spiritual thirst of those who think rather than on material hunger of those who work. For it was passionate intellectuals who created and developed the revolutionary faith. This work seeks to explore concretely the tradition of revolutionaries, not to explain abstractly the process of revolution. My approach has been inductive rather than deductive, explorative rather than definitive, an attempt to open up rather than, quote, cover, unquote, the subject. My general conclusion can be stated simply at the outset, and for the sake of argument more bluntly than may appear in the text that follows. The revolutionary faith was shaped not so much by the critical rationalism of French Enlightenment, as is generally believed, as by the occultism of the proto-romanticism of Germany. This faith was incubated in France during the revolutionary era within a small subculture of literary intellectuals who were immersed, uh, sorry, immersed in journalism, fascinated by secret societies, and subsequently infatuated with the, quote, ideologies, unquote, of a secular surrogate for religious beliefs. Reading again now from page four on the introduction of Fire in the Minds of Men, continuing on. The professional revolutionaries who first appeared during the French Revolution sought, above all, radical simplicity. Their deepest conflicts revolved around the simple words of their key slogan, liberty, equality, fraternity. Liberty had been the battle cry for of e earlier revolutions in 16th century Holland, 17th century England, 18th century America, which produced complex political structures to limit tyranny, separating powers, constituting rights, legitimizing federation. The French Revolution also initially invoked similar ideas, but the new and more collectivist ideals of fraternity and equality soon arose to rival the more collectivist ideals of fraternity and equality, who soon arose to rival the older concepts of liberty. I think I might have read that sentence twice. Let me say that again. The French Revolution also initially invoked similar ideas, but the new and more collectivist ideals of fraternity and equality soon arose to rival the older concept of liberty. The words nationalism and communism were first invented in the 1790s to define the similar, more sublime, seemingly less selfish ideals of fraternity and equality, respectively. The basic struggle that subsequently emerged among committed revolutionaries was between advocates of national revolution for a new type of fraternity and those of social revolution for a new type of equality. The French national example and republican ideal dominated the revolutionary imagination throughout the first half of the 19th century. Exiled, Francopile, Francophile intellectuals from Poland and Italy largely fashioned the dominant concept of revolutionary nationalism, inventing most modern ideas on guerrilla, guerrilla violence of wars of national liberation, expressing their essential emotional ideals best in mythic histories, vernacular poetry, and 
operatic melodrama. melodrama. Rival social revolutionaries began to challenge the Romantic nationalists after the revolutions of the 1830s, and this socialist tradition increased predominant predominated after, sorry, saying again, rival social revolutionaries began to challenge the romantic nationalists after the revolutions of 1830, and this socialistic tradition increasingly predominated after the forming of the first international in 1864 and the movement of the revolutionary cause from French to German and Russian leadership. Social revolutionaries expressed their essentially rationalistic ideal best in prose pamphlets and prosaic organizations. Their hidden model was the impersonal and dynamic machine of factory industry rather than personalized but static lodge of the Masonic aristocracy. No less fateful than the schism between national and social revolutionaries was the conflict among social revolutionaries that began in 1840s between Marx and Prodhorn. The former focus on destroying the capitalist economic system clashed with their latter war on the centralized bureaucratic state. The conflict continued between the hires of Marx, principally in German and Russia, and of Prodhorn among Latin and Slavic anarchists, populists, and syndicalists. The word intelligentsia and the thirst for ideology migrated east from Poland to Russia and from the national to the social revolutionary cause. Through the Russian student radicals of the 1860s who developed a new aesthetic type of terrorism, Lenin drew both on this Russian tradition of violence and on the German concept of organization to create Bolshevism that eventually brought the revolutionary tradition out of the wilderness and into power. The revolutionary faith developed in 19th century Europe only within those societies that had not previously legitimized ideological dissent by breaking with their medieval forms of religious authority uh, note earmark number two, or the reference number two is there, and number one was in the previous sentence. Um, I'll say that again. Within those societies that had not previously, and that was reference one, legitimized ideological dissent by breaking with medieval forms of religious, uh, religious authority, reference two, modified monarchical power by accepting some form of organized political opposition. In Northern Europe and North America, where these conditions were met by Protestant and parliamentary traditions, the revolutionary faith attracted almost no indigenous adherents. Thus, the revolutionary traditions can be seen as a form of political ideological opposition that arose first against authoritarian Catholicism in France, Italy, and Poland, and then against other religiously based autocracies in Lutheran Prussia, Orthodox Russia, and the most dedicated and professional social revolutionaries from Marachal through Blanquou, Marx, and Bakunin uh, to Lenin, I might have slaughtered some of those names, became, uh, came from such societies and tended to become that rarest of all forms of true believers, a militant atheist. 
They and other pioneering revolutionaries were largely middle-class male intellectuals with relatively few familial attachments. Revolutionary movements tended to become more internationalist and visionary when women played a leading role. More parachild and pragmatic whenever workers were in command. Before attempting to chronicle the drama, the dogmas, and the disputes of this new secular religion in the making, it is important to linger on the mystery and the majesty of faith itself. The heart of revolutionary faith, like any faith, is fire. Ordinary material transformed into extraordinary form, quantities of warmth suddenly changed the quality of substance. If we do not know what fire is, we know what it does. It burns, it destroys life, but it also supports it as a source of heat, light, and above all, fascination. Man who works with fire as homo fabar also seems foredoomed in his freedom to play with it as homo ludens. One particular chapter in history unfolds at a time of physical transformation in Europe that was almost as monumentous as the first discovery of fire must have been in the midst of antiquity. The Industrial Revolution was permitting men to leash fire to machines and to unleash firepower on each other, with the force undreamed of in earlier ages, in the midst of those fires appearing the more elusive flame that Dostoevsky described in the most searching work of fiction ever written about the revolutionary movement, The Possessed. He depicted a stagnant, tranquil, provisional town that was suddenly inspired, or infected in parentheses, by new ideas. Shortly after a turbulent literary evening, a mysterious fire broke out, and the local officials shouted out, into the nocturnal confusion, quote, the fire is in the minds of men, not in the roofs of buildings, unquote. Dostoevsky was writing under the impact of two great fires that disturbed him deeply in the heralded and heralded the transfer of the revolutionary leadership from France to Russia. These fires had broken out in Imperial St. Petersburg in the spring of 1861, where the emancipation of the serfs seemed to have inflamed rather than calming compassions, and in Imperial Paris ten years later, where the flames' defeat of the Paris Commune ended forever the era of the Romantic Illusion. The flame of faith had begun its migration a century earlier, when some European aristocrats transferred their lighted candles from Christian altars to Masonic lodges, the flame of occult alchemists which had promised to turn dross into gold reappeared at the center of the new, quote, circles, unquote, seeking to recreate a golden age. Bavarian Illuminists conspiring against Jesuits, French Philadelphians against Napoleon, Italian charcoal burners against Habsburgs, when the most important anti-Neoplatonic Neoplaonic conspiracy was ridiculed for attempting, quote, to use the lever something which is only a match, unquote, its leader replied that, with a match one has no need 
for a lever or a lever, right? One does not lift up the world, one burns it. The leader in spreading the conspiracy to Italy noted that, quote, the Italian flame, unquote, had spread, quote, the fire of freedom to the most frozen land of Petersburg, unquote. There was a first, the, oh, sorry, starting over. There, the first Russian revolution occurred in December of 1825. Its slogan, quote, from the spark comes the flame, unquote, was the original was originated by the first man to predict an egalitarian social revolution in the 18th century, Sylvian Marachel, and revived by the first men to realize such a revolution in the 20th, Lenin, who used, who used it as an epigram for his journal, The Spark. All right, so we're reading from the introduction now on page six from Fire in the Minds of Men, and I'm just reviewing that the recording is working and also grabbing a sip, and we'll continue with the reading. A recurrent mythological model for revolutionaries, early romantics, the young Marx, the Russians of Lenin's time, was Prometheus, who stole fire from the gods for the use of mankind. The Promethean faith of revolutionaries reassembled in many respects the general modern beliefs that science would lead men out of darkness into light. But there was also a more pointed millennial assumption that on the new day that was dawning, the sun would never set. Early during the French upheaval was born a solar myth of revolution suggesting that the sun was rising on a new era in which darkness would vanish forever. This image became implanted, quote, at a level of consciousness that simulated, that simultaneously interpreted something real and produced a new reality, unquote. Reference number three. The new reality they sought was radically secular and stridently simple. The ideal was not the balanced complexity of the new American Federation, but the occult simplicity of its great seal. An all-seeing eye atop a pyramid over the words Novos Ordo Seclorum. In search of primal nature, natural truths, revolutionaries looked back to the pre-Christian antiquity adopting pagan names like Anaxagoras, uh, Chumate, and Anarchasis, including uh, clutes. Sorry, that's really kind of a jumble of words there. In the search for primal nature truths and truths, revolutionaries looked back to the pre-Christian antiquity, adopting pagan names like Anaxagoras, Chimedi, and Anarchasis, clutes, idealizing above all this semi-mythic Pythagoras, Pythagoras, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over these words now, uh, the semi-mythic Pythagoras as the model intellect turned revolutionary and the Pythagorean belief in prime numbers, geometric forms, and the higher harmonies of music. Many of the same Strasbourg musicians who first played La Marse at La Marseille uh, La Marseillaise in 1792 had introduced Mozart's magic flute to French audiences in the same city only 
a few months earlier, and Mozart's illuminist message, messages seemed to explain the fuller meaning of the Jour de Glorie that Roguet and Lysley anthemed and proclaimed. And here is the Jour de Glorie. The rays of the sun have vanquished the night. The power of darkness has yielded to light. All right, page seven from the introduction here. And I'm just scrolling to look at the time. And it looks like we have quite a few more pages. And the time for me today will be running out short. So let's finish through to a section that seems like a good stopping point, And then we'll continue on with this in the next episode. The rising sun brought heat as well as light, for the fire was generally lit, not a light, not at high noon, on a tabula rasa by some philosopher king, but rather by some unknown guest arriving at midnight, amidst the excesses of Don Giovanni's banquet, quote, communism, unquote. The label Lenin finally adopted was invented not by the great Rousseau, but by the Rousseau de Rousseau, uh, Rousseau of the Guter, and the indulgent fetishist and nocturnal streetwalker in pre-revolutionary Paris, Restif de la Brutane. Thus, the revolutionary label that now controls the destiny of more than one billion people in the complementary, in the contemporary world, sprang from the erotic imagination of an eccentric writer. Like other key words of the revolutionary tradition, it first appeared as a rough ideograph of the language in making a road sign pointing to the future. This study attempts to identify some of these signs along the path from Restif to Lenin. It follows sparks across national borders carried by small groups of idiosyncratic individuals, idiosyncratic individuals who created an incendiary legacy of ideas. We will say relatively little about either familiar formal organization antecedents and contemporary communists, the three internationalists, the Russian Social Democratic Party, or the actual revolutionary configurations of the period. We shall exclude altogether the contemporary era in which the stage has moved from Europe to the world and the revolutionaries from the anticipation to the exercise of power. We shall deal repeatedly with the linguistic creativity of revolutionaries who used old words, democracy, nation, revolution, and liberal, in new ways, and invented altogether new words like socialist and communist. Their appealing new vocabulary was taken over for non-revolutionary usage, as in the adoption of Republican and Democratic for competing political parties in the post-revolutionary America, or in the conservative co-optation of nation, liberal, and even radical in the late 19th century Europe. Revolutionaries also originated other key phrases used by non-revolutionary social theorists in our own country. Cybernetics, intelligentsia, even speculation about... Oh, so sorry, let me re- let's read that again. Revolutionaries also originated other key phrases used by non-revolutionary social theorists in our own century. And 
the Cabernetes, right? They, they, they made up, this is t- Tyler uh, backing off from the book for a sec, that good old uh, Cabernetes and that intelligentsia. What's all this cybernetics and intelligentsia about? Okay, back to the book. Even speculation about, quote, the year 2000, unquote, began not with the futurology of the 1960s, but with a dramatic work written in the 1780s by the same figure who invented the word communism or communist. And that's reference number five. The origins of the revolutionary words and symbols is one of the, is more than antiquarian interests. For in the contemporary world where constitutions and free elections are vanishing um, almost as rapidly as monarchs, Revolutionary rhetoric provides the formal legitimation of the most political authorities. The historian path back to the origins leads, however, into often murky labyrinths and requires a willingness to follow seminal figures in leaps of fantasy to remote times and on long marches into distant spaces. Revolutionaries no less than prophets of the Judeo-Christian-Muslim lineage, seek to find their, quote, holy other, unquote, in historical time. They tend to become more extreme in the present, and they idealize an ever more distant past. Those who glorified the pre-Christian Druids tend to outstrip the fanaticism those who looked only into the early Christians. Revolutionaries, have also pursued a geographical quest for some ideal place where the, quote, holy other, unquote, could be wholly present. Activists have often sought out small, clearly encompassed area within which perfection could become material. The earliest utopias of the imagination and the starting places for many of the 19th century revolutionaries were often islands. In search for sacred space and original revolutionaries, made judgment through an apothesis of location, left versus right or mountain versus plain in the French National Assembly, an inner circle of the dedicated within a broader circumference of the affiliated in their revolutionary organizations. What Klutz called the, quote, world map of revolution, unquote, was explored and charted by a new breed of politicized artists and writers, Flags and songs provided a semaphore of salvation. The bourgeoisie, third estate, sartorially celebrated this liberation from the aristocratic second estate by lowering its knee breeches and becoming the sans culottes, only to don the tight new uniforms prescribed by the revolutionary citizen state. The revolutionary faith was built more by ideological innovators than by political leaders. He who held actual power during the original French Revolution was generally, quote, a provisional being, a creature of exceptional circumstances, not a professional in the revolution, unquote, reference number eight. Professionalism began later, later with a different kind of man, an intellectual who lacked political experience, but saw in revolution an object of faith and a source of vocation, a channel for sublimated emotion and sublime 
ambition. If traditional religion is to be described as, quote, the opium of the people, unquote, the new revolutionary faith might well be called the the amphetamine of the intellectuals. Okay, so we can see how what's being described here, if we juxtapose that to the activists of the modern day, you know, we see the same sort of pattern of trying to find this utopian space, this, uh, this, um, you know, uh, intentional communities, right, is the word that we use nowadays. And what we're going to go recreate this perfection in our space that we've created in, in this pattern that we see even in the modern revolutions and the modern anarchists in the modern uh, activists. And so, you know, it's good to understand the history of some of uh, these terms as so we can then juxtapose them to today and see how, you know, there's similar patterns. And I'm not, you know, saying that, oh, see, I've just proven all the movements are wrong. That's not what we're doing here. We're, we're learning and we're growing and we're moving through this information together and trying to understand if there are any ways that we can understand the movements of the modern day better through looking back at this great uh, piece done by James H. Billington in Fire of the, in the Minds of Men. So we'll, we'll remember that we left off on page eight there, talking about the um, if traditional religion is to be described as the opium of the people, the new revolutionary faith might be called the amphetamine of the intellectuals. And we'll continue with this reading of the introduction in our next episode and try to get through that and then we'll be going through and reviewing some more aspects of the fire in the minds of men book but as well as other components that we'll bring in and talk about and uh as long as we're starting back with the freedom or the falling into movement trap series next week so when i say next week what i really mean to say is in the next falling into the movement traps part seven we'll continue on with that and uh, with that today i've got to go ahead and close it out i'm all out of time and uh, there's never enough time to go through the information uh, all together but uh you know we'll see you back here next time on freedoms rising since it came up a few times today what we'll be exiting with here is a song from pucifer off their album existential reckoning and the title of that song is called personal prometheus and Thanks, everyone, again. We'll talk to you soon. See you back here next time. Stigmata from Prometheus.